0: everyone. It's uh, still a blizzard outside. I believe it's negative 37 today, this fine morning. But uh, so that means it's a good time to do a podcast. And I have someone I've followed along with for a while who's doing great things for the state of Colorado. I've obviously recently moved out of Colorado and I'm fairly happy about that, which this podcast will explain that a little bit better. But Dan Gates is trying to make a difference uh, with what's going on. So Dan, thanks for
1: coming on the podcast. Well, thanks a bunch, Aaron. Really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to get, I wish I would have been able to get you on earlier. It's been uh, pretty hectic for for both of us and you've got a lot of stuff going on. So um, as a lot of people will probably listen in now, um, put it as bluntly as I can, Colorado's kind of going to shit. And uh, when I say that as far as hunting and for hunting and outdoorsmen, Um, It's a shame to see the Colorado I remember from years ago is definitely not what it is now. Um, And the one of the more recent problems is the reintroduction of wolves, uh, depending on how you feel about that. And then now they're trying to ban mountain lion and bobcat hunting and obviously the hounds as well. So, Dan, why don't you tell everyone what you're about, what's going on, and then we'll kind of dissect it after that.
1: Well, um, it started a long time ago when we tried to uh, do the very things that you left the state for and to try to keep uh, people apprised of what was going on and try to have a, an imprint on the on the landscape, some sort of a footprint. And uh, so I'm the executive director for the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. We started that organization back in 2016. We are a 501c4 organization, which means that we do political advocacy work Uh, like what's coming up with the ballot initiative, and we also do public education as well. We're the only organization in the state that's got lobbying representation at the Colorado State Capitol for sportsmen and women. Um, We work with all the other acronym organizations that we're probably all members of, RMEF and NWTF and Mule Deer Foundation and a a variety of others. The mission of our organization is to to promote, enhance, and defend the North American model of wildlife conservation and responsible wildlife management, whatever the hell it's worth. I'm, I'm also the president for the Colorado trappers and predator hunters association and have been for, I guess, about 10 years now. And uh, while predator hunting and fur bearer management have been under assault in Colorado for quite some time, you look all the way back since 1996 when the voters passed amendment 14 to ban the, use and utilization of foothold traps, body gripping devices, and cable restraint devices for predators, not including bears and mountain lions. And we need to make that a, a, an explicit uh, difference between the two because bears and mountain lions are managed as big game animals and all the other stuff is managed as fur-bearing animals under the small game regulations. So we, we, are, we are steadfast in trying to um, keep some of these things from happening, which we've been very, very successful on. But the juggernaut continues to uh, build momentum. Their snowball continues to get bigger and the, and the state continually gets more and more of a dark blue as opposed to 50 shades of blue. And we're just trying to, we're just trying to do what's right by the North American model, by wildlife conservation, by the traditions and heritage of science-based wildlife management and within the sporting community and, um, and, and keep, our flag planted on top of the Hill until somebody either, I guess, kicks us out of state or burns us at the stake. So,
0: <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, and obviously I've, I've gotten some shit flicked my way for, for moving, right. Why stay and fight? Well, I I can fight and not stay. And that was kind of what I chose. And, and when I, some of the things you bringing up, I can't remember what year it was, 1980 something, I think, they took away spring bear hunting, um, baiting, spring bear hunting.
1: 90, um, 92.
0: 92. Yeah. I, and I, you know, yes, sir. I wasn't part, you know, I was still in high school in 92. So, but as I understand it at that time, we lost by like 1%. Um, and some of the people that just, that were hunters that didn't bear hunt didn't vote. And, you know, some people that were hunters well,
1: and, and, and and let me let me correct it we didn't lose by 1% on that we lost 70% to 30% okay on the spring bear in 92 on the trapping deal we lost 52 to 48 and on this most recent wolf deal in, in 2020 it was 51.9 to to 49.1 or whatever the hell it turns out to be
0: yeah close uh, close um yeah it, yeah so like you know starting with the spring you know, bear hunting, and that was, you know, 70-30. Uh bears are a problem in Colorado, right? They they there's a lot of them. Um anywhere you yep. go now, some maroon bells, for example, you know, every dumpster, there's signs on it, you know, bear canisters, so on and so forth. Bears are cool. You know, I like bears, but also the management of bears is really cool as well. And you know, being, you know, I've seen, uh, both black bears, uh, and grizzlies when they're at their ugliest when they're wanting to breed again. So, you know, a lot of people don't know things like that, where a male, a boar, a male black bear or grizzly will kill a sow's cubs to put her back into estrus to breed again. And is that a, you know, is that something like is, uh, you know, this big pivotal point of, um, our discussion no but getting information out there where I've tried to explain things like that when there's too many predators what can happen obviously in the wild as well as obviously as they move into cities the negative side of things as well as the positive side you know you fast forward um the trapping um which I am not as versed in the trapping portion of this and then the wolves and now you know on and on and on well one of the things that's like really, really important with this is to me is education. And then two, get your ass out there and vote. Whether you hunt uh spring bear or not, or whether you are uh, you know, a houndsman or into predator hunting or not, it's still getting taken away from us. So, I mean, talk a little bit about <clears> that. <throat> what do you what do what are your views on that? You know, what are what are your from the outside perspective, just me and Dan bullshitting around the campfire like what do you got going on in your brain with all this?
1: Well, back in 1992, we had 2.9 million people in the state of Colorado. And we're approaching 6 million, or like 5.9. And, uh, you know, people move from all around the country, and they've got different perspectives, uh, different ideologies, and um, and different educational backgrounds to be part of these conversations. And, and uh, one of the biggest things that I see is, is people that have been separated from the landscape and, and the realization of what it takes to manage your natural resources and your water and your wildlife. And even though people recreate in a, in a you know an alarming rate now, um, they don't understand what it takes to maintain the landscape. And the landscape is, is very fragile. Um, it's, it's not only just fragile from the wildlife perspective and the clean water and the habitat and, and, and those things, it's fragile, just from overuse of people beating down things and going out like locusts on a cornfield. Um, and I think that once they once they become a little bit more educated, it's easier for them to understand why we need science-based management, whether it's wildlife or natural resources or water or whatever. Now, there's a component of that that depending on what science you look at and what you listen to, because everybody seems to be an expert in today's environment. And, you know, if you Google something, you can probably get the truth, the half truth and, and, and nothing, but nothing of the truth. And I, and I think that education of the general public is imperative, whether they, you know, pursue what we engage in or not but then they have to be able to turn around and educate their peers and their and their loved ones and congregation and coworkers and so forth about things that are important to them and how that dramatically affects or benefits them individually and collectively as a society. And I think we're in a position right now that where we've become so polarized at so many different levels that we pit each other against each other for reasons that probably don't have a lot of value. And because of that difference of that, you know, the top 10% that are for something and the top 15% that are against something or whatever the numbers might be. It's that middle in the road, in the wind, middle of the road crowd that, that we both, opponents and proponents of different measures, are trying to capitalize on. But people aren't stupid. But they are ignorant on a lot of different subjects because it's just not their wheelhouse. And I think that we haven't done a very good job um, conservation community-wise, and organization-wise, from the big mothership conservation organizations, the hunting and fishing groups that we're all part of, to educate that middle road. We've done really good for our own memberships. We've re- done really good on the other side of, of educating to their memberships. But we haven't done a very good job of of giving the facts and the data and the statistics to where people can understand why we need such management decisions, why we need science-based wildlife management, why we need highly regulated components of game agencies to be able to instill the models and the objectives and all the, the components that go into managing, like in Colorado, 961 species of wildlife with 78 game species. And I think that we're getting to a point now to where it's easy for people to say, oh, I saw an article on that and just take it as gospel. And that's what their whole value system is, is based upon is one article, either pro or con, but it might, it might be the factual one and it might not. And if it's not, they're not doing any good for the landscape when it comes to actual, you know, participating and engaging in conservation and wildlife management decision making processes.
0: Yeah. And as far as the education goes, like you had said, uh, and I mean, the whole world's going this way where they, you know, quickly search, read an article, a buddy sends an article, you know, pro or, you know, for or against pro or con, uh, you know, something, an email goes out to a family member, they forward it on. And, and that I saw that happen. Well, I've seen that happen many times, but when they banned grizzly bear hunting in in, uh, you know, British Columbia, for example, um, you know, Mm -hmm. me had, I, I have been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in British Columbia and, you know, hunting bears and predators specifically. And, and I knew just from showing up, going hunting that I had seen a shit ton of grizzly bears. And I was like, man, this is, you know, crazy. Well, that was definitely not a science-based decision. Um, you know, Wyoming's another good example. I can't remember, what was that? Five years ago, they were, they were going to reintroduce a season for, for grizzly. And it got Halted, and I'm not sure the ins and outs of that, but I know the numbers were far more neat need- than needed to approve a hunting season for Grizzly. All of those decisions mm-hmm. were made not on a fact base or off of a sheer numbers. That was in an, an emotional decision, as I understand it. Now, maybe I'm just looking in the wrong spot where I just haven't seen the more fact-based or scientific based data but I know what I've seen with my own eyes and there was a lot. And when I say a lot, millions of dollars put into, I believe Miley Cyrus put in two and a half million dollars. If I, that article was true into banning the bear baiting in BC. Um, Colorado's not that much different in a lot of ways. Like you said, people move from all over the place. And so like when the wolf thing was going on um, and they, you know, they were having, you know, sign this, do you want wolves reintroduced? You could go down to Belmar uh, mall in in Lakewood, and you'd have several people just walking around Belmar. Hey, do you want wolves back in Colorado? They're such cute, cool creatures, and they'd hand sign this. Well, I, you know me, of course. The moment I was like, actually, you know, let's talk about that. Well, the fuck? No, they didn't want to talk about anything. They just walk away. If you if you wanted to have any kind of de- a debate about it, well, you know, one of the first questions I asked was, how much time do you spend out in the wild? And a lot of the decisions being made are people that actually don't really ever step foot in the outdoors or a lot of the votes being cast. And so definitely the educational portion of this is huge. And sometimes it feels like a it's a battle we can't win, which is depressing. I mean, when I say that, the governor of Colorado has pretty much stacked the deck against us as outdoorsmen and hunters and pretty much was able to weaponize or trying to weaponize Predators, to a certain degree, if this is from my perspective looking at it. What are your thoughts on that? The last portion of that question.
1: Well, I think I think they're definitely pedestalizing predator, predators to the point to where they they should get different treatment than the other uh, species that Colorado Parks and Wildlife is in charge of managing for sure. I think uh, pedestalizing it to the point to where there should be either restricted or prohibited harvest. Uh, as can be seen in, in the wolf introduction to some degree. You know, I, I was appointed by um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife to sit on the stakeholder advisory group for creating a management plan for the introduction of wolves. Um, because of my background on the wildlife landscape, uh, I, I run and operate a wildlife control business, a human-animal conflict business, and have for 37 years. Uh, what, I, what I've what i engaged in in Parks and Wildlife has is, is pr- primarily been from the the consumptive use side, uh, the hunting and fishing side, but I've sat on multiple boards and committees that were that were more uh, about coalescing and co, you know, creating coalitions and and partnerships, hoping to educate some of these other entities and individuals and organizations about the need for these sort of actions, whether it's predators or you know upland ge- game birds or endangered and threatened species or whatever, um, but the In my mind is is probably you're you're spot on when you talk about, uh, you know, using that as a tool to create probably divisiveness on the landscape. I mean, look, just because we're hunters doesn't mean that all of us uh, voted against the wolves. And I say all of us because I run into a lot of people that that you know regularly buy deer and elk licenses that that voted for wolves. Same thing um, on my now. Look, I, the other thing is, yeah, it, it's and and I'm not I'm not anti wolf, uh, but I am anti anti management. And and uh, um, if lack. wolves came into Colorado and, through the natural cycle of attrition,
0: you're, you're anti lack you know, of management.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and 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 I think what we don't have is the 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 ability to manage wolves the way that they were introduced because they were introduced by a ballot measure. The only state in the country that's actually brought an apex predator in through a ballot initiative process, where the general public can make the decisions on how wildlife is going to be managed. Now we've done that three three times now: nineteen ninety two with Initiative Ten on the bear deal, nineteen ninety six on Amendment Fourteen with the Trapping in the amendment, and uh, in, in 2020 with the wolf introduction, we're trying to stop that on the Mountline deal, and and we think we've got a really good chance. But it's it's educating the general public about how important this science-based wildlife management is, and I know that there's a fair amount of people out there, Aaron, that have you know got some buyer's remorse for their casting of the vote in 2020. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought they were gonna be be able to do that. I think that some of those people are coming full circle and with as much publicity that is going on in the media on the Wolf introduction and how it was done and the process and procedure. There's people starting to question things, but you're still gonna have that far right or left wing side of every equation that can you sway enough of that to come to the middle? And can you make enough of the middle actually pay attention? One thing that I'd like to mention is in 2020, there was 133,000 registered Republican voters. I'm just using Republicans as an example. 133,000 registered Republican voters in the state of Colorado that did not vote. And those aren't aren't the non-registered, the unregistered. Those are the registered that did not vote. That that number increased to 149,000 in 2022. So I don't know whether there's a defeatist attitude on the landscape, and I'm not saying all of those those re- registered Republicans would have voted a, an exact same way, but the fact of the matter is, if you've got the opportunity to participate in such decision-making processes, whether it's a gubernatorial election or introduction of wolves, if we don't cast our ballot because we don't think it, it doesn't count... Uh, then what good are we on the landscape when it comes to really making the educated decisions that need to be made?
0: Yeah. And our, uh, our opponents, I guess you could say, um, are very good at voting and very good at making their uh, voices heard at a level that we're flat out just getting our ass kicked. Um, and I hate to be a negative Nancy, but that's, that's just fact I mean, we're, we're losing. And <clears throat> I've had multiple conversations over the last, you know, couple months with many different things, when it comes to, you know, using my voice, my, you know, umbrella to get the, you know, the word out. And, and you, it's very near and dear to to me because I remember what Colorado once was, but also as a photographer, I get to dive into, I get to hang out with people that are definitely do not have my views when I'm, photographing wildlife, um, you know, whether I'm doing a a quick class or I'm just running into people on the side of the mountain, whatever it is that are photographers and what their views are and their views. I quickly, you know, once you find out someone's views, where those views came from, did they come from fact-based data? Did they come from basically just shooting the shit with other photographers that are spreading? I say spreading for the most part, every time I talk with a photographer um, that is, you know, a little farther to the left than the right. And I, 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 and I try to stay as neutral as I can about this and I hear their views and where their views are come from. It is very apparent to me immediately that is, there is zero fact based data on that. Like, I don't know how many times I've heard, I don't know if you know this, but mountain lions are almost extinct. I just about mm-hmm. shit my hand and clap when I hear that. I'm like, what, what was that? Uh, it, they're extinct. Where, where'd you hear that? Like, oh, yeah, my my friend told me uh, they're, they're almost extinct. And things like that, again, is like, where do we, wh- where is the, what can we do to get the word out as fast as possible to the most people as possible and, and be as intelligent about it as possible? Because the one thing that doesn't help us is... You get a bunch of far-right redneck wackos saying, shoot, shovel, and shut up. That is not a really—you yep. g- can think it, but Jesus, don't print it, and certainly don't say it to a large group of public, like uh, in the public. And, you know, those are the things, like, I you know, I don't know if you remember— I mean, you're a little older than I am, so the Spotted Owl issue in Oregon, 87, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So I was there, right? That's where I'm from, and— You know, of course, like, you know, it's crushing logging communities, everything else. And then there's signs everywhere. I love spotted owls fried, like shit like that. And it's like, okay, as a kid, I thought that was awesome. You know, your product of your environment As you get older. Those are the kind of things, you know, you don't want to be shooting holes in the bottom of the boat.
1: Well, and and I think, um... One of the, well, I think, one of the biggest hurdles that we have to deal with is, and and I don't, you can't get a, away from it and around it. But as as hunters and for the most part anglers, um, the mission of our endeavors is to pursue and harvest, which is killing. And people that are completely averse to to killing, it's hard to explain to them. The wins, wise, what's, where's, and how's. Now, those same people that might not like us going out and doing it for ourselves, the majority of those still, you know, they go to Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and they go to Whole Foods and they buy all their food and they go home. If somebody killed something at some point, it's just they didn't have to see it and it didn't look like it was from a recreation or avocational perspective. And now there's the other side, you know, that that we'll, – you know 8 to 10% that they don't want anything killed for any reason whether it's domestic or wild or in any capacity um, if they could if we could figure out a way to tell them that you know celery screamed when you chopped it down or a tomato screamed when you picked it they i don't know what they they would start genetically you know test tubing it stuff to the point where that's all they eat but we kill stuff now we don't kill stuff at the rate that they say we do because if you look at Colorado for instance there's a 9% success rate on elk hunters straight across the board, you know, muzzleloading, archery, rifle, all seasons, uh, bulls, cows, private lands, you know, outfitted, unoutfitted public land, whatever it's 9%. So if we were waiting to just kill something for the meat, we would probably starve to get starve to death. Um, but, but we also have, you know, if somebody's an elk and are non, are not successful, they go out and hunt a deer, maybe they are, but they're not dependent on that as a majority. There's some people that are, you know, we we eat a lot of wild game in our household, but we don't eat all wild game. We still eat some chicken and some turkey and some ham, and you know, so we we trying to convince as a community, trying to convince oppositional forces about why we do what we do. We do a very piss poor job of explaining that holistically, and I say this tongue in cheek because I go back to the five hundred one c three and five hundred one c four statuses that I mentioned at the beginning of the show that. We advocate and we educate as best as we possibly can, but we're not a giant organization. We're not a membership organization. We take our our money from contributions and donations and specifically on ballot initiatives like this where we're talking in the millions of dollars and we're at the tip of the spear. But all those other acronym organizations have done a piss poor job and I'm partners with them so I could say this, me looking at what they do, they talk to their memberships and they talk to people in the industry. They don't talk to the outside. They don't talk to that middle of the road. And if they did to explain from their perspectives about what they do for habitat and conservation and and management objectives and disease control and and restoration, if they did that to the general public, as much as what they tout what they do to their membership, we probably wouldn't be talking about that 70 or 80 percent in the middle as much. It would probably maybe be only 30 or 40 percent. It'd be a lot easier to turn around and get our message across if those major organizations would help educate the general public, because we don't get, we don't get the time in the press and the media. Every once in a while, we find a favorable reporter. We'll get something that goes our way, but more often than not, it's misconstrued or, or tainted toward the other side because we kill stuff. The intent is we kill stuff, no matter what the data is, the statistics, the percentages, we kill stuff. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way that with, with our, efforts on this particular measure working with all these groups around the country and working with all these influencers and the social media guys and the podcasters and the, and the celebrity sportsmen and stuff, the industry itself, you know, the major, the major, you know, gun manufacturers and ammunition and camping manufacturers and you know, sporting clays and you name it, we're reaching out or they're reaching out to us because if we don't get our message right on this one and we're not victorious on this one here in Colorado. It sets the tone and narrative for the opposition to be able to build their armament and congenitally steamrolling through that deceitful bunch of lies and BS that they put out there. If we win, then then we've got a pro- proven roadmap and a playbook that everybody on our side can actually think. Well, maybe that's maybe maybe we ought to look at doing some of that. And I say this, knowing full well that some of those organizations that I mentioned are formulating or trying to figure out what they can do to formulate 501c4 organizations within their organization as part of a foundation similar to what SCI has done because they see the need to do something different than what they did when they were formulated 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's where I see the breaking point. And if we can't educate that middle of the road from those conservation groups to help promote our message, there's no way, shape or form that the internet guy that wants to post all his pictures of what he kills on, on social media, there's no way that we're going to turn around and be able to bridge that gap.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's difficult on social media. And I'm definitely, um, you know, like obviously I post, you know, dead shit as well as photography and sheep and cooking and whatever yeah. I possibly can. The problem now is, uh, with social media, when you look at my, and this is off the subject, but, kind of what you're talking about if I post a photo if I post anything I will generally if I look at my statistics it could be 28,000 followers saw my post and 37 non-followers saw my post obviously social media has done a very good job to swedge that that number of non-followers that have seen that and it did not used to be like that but now as far as non-followers unless something magically goes viral it's it's pretty well bottlenecked you're not going to get the word out it's kind of like walking into a catholic church preaching about catholicism my viewers are probably republican pro you know predator hunting pro hunting pro second amendment you know i got a few that probably aren't but getting the word out past that and again what is very alarming to me like i brought up on the photography you know, side of things is when I get to step out of my own little box and get into a bigger box. And when I step into that bigger box, believe me, I'm like, holy fuck, we are screwed. Like we have got to do better. Um, And when I say do better, for example, and these aren't exact numbers, um, you know, but when I say exact numbers, roughly, you know, for example, an adult wolf kills between 25 and 30 deer a year, roughly, but that's pretty Mm -hmm. I would say pretty close from all the data and uh, a mountain lions closer to 40 An adult mountain lions closer to 40 deer a year. So we'll just say 35 to 40. Um, Now, you know, getting into the argument of do wolves kill things and run away, just killing to kill. I I mean, I've, I've visually seen that happen. Now, did they come back two or three days later or whatever else, you know, also, you know, in, in nature, things die horribly. And a lot of the things like when I've talked about with wolves where I've got, you know, multiple videos that I can show people of like, hey, have you seen a wolf take down, a pack of wolves take down a moose or an elk? Show them that and say, okay, no, I mean, watch this. This is what you voted for. Like, I'm not trying to be a dickhead here, but I want you to watch this. I want you to know what's going on here. And I want you to know that the level it's going to happen. And I also want you to know that the long-term repercussions aren't even quantifiable of what could happen and how fast it will happen from the reintroductions of wolves, from the banning of spring bear hunting from potentially the mountain lion issue. And the mountain lion thing for me is, is a really big one because they are just with everything else going on, hell and Jesus on ungulates and 38 deer to 40 deer a year for one mountain lion. That is a shit ton of deer. Well, if you bring that up and say, all right, well, What if, if hunters don't kill nearly that, right? I mean, like you run the numbers back and forth and hunters have an off button. Hunters have regulations trying to convey that message and explain that it does take some time, but it is, it is doable. Like you said, for that mid road, Um, you know, portion, let's say you meet somebody at the gym that's diet, you know, eats protein like crazy. They're eating steak all the time and chicken and fish, And then those are the people that you really want to, for me, I really want to make sure they understand. So if they do vote, you know, and they're, let's say, leaning a little more to the left that they understand like, well, Hey, I actually consume meat all the time. You know, I'm just killing it with my checkbook. Like there's nothing wrong with hunters actually doing what they're doing. You know, like you say, harvesting animals, killing animals, and then also preserving that because once you have bears, wolves, and mountain lions, Within the next ten to fifteen years, there's not going to be a whole lot of ungulates left.
1: No, no, and and I think yeah, talking about that, you know, that middle of the road group versus the far side of that that group, uh, you know, where I would say you've got vegans and you've got vegetarians for a variety of different reasons. Some of that might be health, some of them might be choice. <laughs> Excuse me i I know I know vegans that that support hunting. But, you know, they have health issues that, for different reasons, they don't do a lot of the things that I do. But when we look at trying to trying to explain to the general public about why we do what we do and how we do what we do, and I'll give you an example. We just came from the ISE, the International Sportsman's Expo in Denver. We had a booth set up, and we had, you know I, I did a presentation and we had tremendous interaction. Um, some of some of the people that go through there, I would say are ignorant to the landscape. Some are stupid because they don't want to hear because, you know, everything's, everything's a black Hawk helicopter, doom and gloom conspiracy theory. And, and there might be some of that to some level The different, the different you know perspectives, but I, but I'm, I, I still think as, as a society, we are good as a whole, but the example I'm going to give you is there was a, there was a nature uh, educator that has, eagles and peregrine falcons and red-tailed hawks down the aisle from us. And I've worked with these individuals before, but now they're even being uh, attacked and assaulted, not physically, but verbally and, and politically, from the far, far, far left, because they're using eagles and hawks and falcons and birds of prey to hunt and to catch stuff to feed the bird of prey, and they're trying to prohibit them from doing that. And I'm thinking, now you're trying to get an eagle not to be able to eat, because whether the person has the eagle in their possession or not, as a falconer or a hawk or whatever, and they go out and hunt, the eagle's still going to do that, whether that person has control and not ownership, but stewardship of that animal. The eagle is still going to do it. It makes me wonder, if the eagle is out there doing it on its own, it's okay, but if somebody has any human interaction into that, now it's not okay? because they have to have a hunting license to have that Falcon or that Eagle to be able to go harvest. They, the, the, the far, far left extreme doesn't want any harvest for any reason that they think is not up to their standards. And I made this comment during the parks and wildlife commission meeting last week before the ISE show. It's not about 10. It's not about 20. It's not about 50 or a hundred or a thousand. It's about zero. The, the far-left oppositional efforts to, to take us off the landscape is there's no no middle road. It's zero. You don't kill for any reason. They don't want you to kill if it's attacking your kid or your livestock or protecting your property because there's always a solution. There's a non-lethal solution to be able to do it. And look, I'm in a wildlife control business, and I can tell you that a lot of my customers start out that way, but when I convince them otherwise or tell them and educate them, they come back to the middle and they go, I didn't know that. I had no idea. I didn't consider that. It wasn't brought into my my sphere to where I could comprehend that. I think the general public is just like that. It's just that I, as a wildlife control operator, and 100 or so of these guys in the state that do this sort of work, they can't talk to every single voter, but they can damn sure talk to their customers. And more often than not, their customers are ignorant about wildlife issues But once they become educated, they're willing to make the right decisions for the wildlife, for themselves, and for the society that has to deal with that wildlife, whether it's urban or rural. And I'm really thinking that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here because I go back to the organizational efforts of education. If the the organizations would do a public education campaign statewide, regionally, or nationally, collectively about what happens on the landscape and why we do what we do on the North American model and science-based wildlife management, we can make a difference with the general public, but how many commercials have you seen outside of the outdoor channel or talking to the hook and bullet crowd that actually talks about what benefit we provide as a sporting community on the landscape at any level?
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 60
1: years old. I can't recall none. anything. None. None.
0: No, none. no, no. And I mean, like you could see, on the other, you know, obviously on the other side of the fence, it's really, really bad. Like a, a billboards where there's, you know, three cubs and it's, you know, hunters did this, right? That we, we killed the mom's, you know, the, the cubs mom, or there's a lot of negative press on the other side of the spectrum. And we definitely need more, more and in, 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 informational educational. I mean, having said that, mm-hmm. like you said, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That light is very difficult at times for people, including myself, you know, to see without really looking, you got to look, you're not going to just find it. And when I, am not saying that in a negative way, I'm saying, you know, all hope is not lost, but you're not going to just flick on Facebook and find it. Right. You're like, you got to look. And when I say that, even when like my, obviously I'm mostly hunters and photographers, fishermen, whatever. Um, You know, you might see video games pop up and a hoodie and a bunch of other sales and shit, but you're not going to probably ever see anything that has light at the end of the tunnel unless you dig.
1: No, no, no. And I I think if if, uh, there's some things that I'm involved in um, from an appointed position that we do to educate about the benefits of hunting and fishing. And I think that sportsmen are doing the yeoman's work of the majority of that. But that money is not is not enough and it's not getting expended in a manner to where the general public is going to be able to pay attention to that light at the end of the tunnel of that education. You know, during that meeting that I mentioned last week at the Parks and Wildlife Commission, um, it was brought up about specific messaging about bobcats and mountain lions when presentations were done. Well, how do we get this out? Well, it's fine on the website, but somebody has to want to go look at it and then they got to find it and then they have to decipher it. There's no 30-second commercials. There's no minute and a half social media spots. There's no documentaries that turn around and come out and show the benefits of hunting and fishing unless you look at the Outdoor Channel or or you know, Hunt TV or whatever. I think I think that if we if we rallied our organizations and we rallied our legislators, we could be the most powerful group of individuals on the planet because we've got the model to be able to turn around and and you know, prop us up. But at the same time, the facts and the data and the science and the statistics that are there support the model and vice versa. Well, ask the average sportsman, Aaron, what the North American model is. Well, that's, that's what we all adhere to and what we all, you know, believe in. Give me, give me three tenets of the model. The average sportsman can't do that. And I said this last night on another podcast, the average, the average person probably can't give what the 10 commandments are. (laughs) but that that same person can't tell you what Senate district they live in or what representative they had or who their County commissioner is. They don't know that there's a parks and wildlife commission. They don't know that you can go to the Capitol and contact your legislator. But if you don't know what district you live in, you don't know what legislator you have. We pay attention to the important stuff, very less, lots less than what we do to the unimportant stuff. And that's what bases a lot of our decision-making process on.
0: Well, and when, you know, when you bring things like that up, um, how much does it matter? And when I say how much doesn't matter, I don't mean that in a negative way. Obviously, talking with your, like, when I, let me word this accordingly. Um, obviously, if you go on social media and make a, some kind of a conservation post or share something or whatever the normal shit is, how much of a difference does that make compared to, we'll just start at the Congress level down writing letters, letting your voice be heard. Does that make a difference? Cause that is something that has come up where I've talked with people. I'm like, man, you know, just email, send an email. That shit doesn't work. They're not even going to read it. How much does it, how much does it matter? And at what level should they start?
1: Well, I'll tell you in uh for, for an example, um, being outnumbered in this state pretty dramatically, especially after 2018 when, when this particular governor got elected, um, we we saw an onslaught of things that went before the Parks and Wildlife Commission, because those commissioners were then appointed by this governor. So there was, a, in our beliefs, there was an agenda to try to capitalize on what some people in this administration wanted. Uh, we defeated all of those measures in 2019, 20, and 21. So the opposition decided to go to the Capitol and and do what we're dealing with now on the ballot. They decided to go to the Capitol to ban the harvest of mountain lions and bobcats with Senate Bill 31. And on February 3rd of 2022, we capitalized on our outreach and efforts. We put 350 people on the steps of the Capitol at four below zero. We testified and we won four to one in the Senate Ag Committee when we were told we were going to lose four to one. The outreach that was seen by sportsmen and women in the state of Colorado at that particular time went on the successes that we had in 2019, 20, and 21 at the the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission. So the antis, you know, the, the oppositional forces didn't like the results, obviously, of the commissions, didn't like the results of the legislature. Now they decided to go to the ballot. Now, it's harder to convince the general public because now you're talking a money money match you know a pound for pound punch for punch tit for tat, you know approach but as far as legislatures and commissions if people do not engage the opposition are the only ones that are there if people do not participate the opposition are the only ones that have the voice and if people do not know who their representatives or commissioners are to engage in that process they they take it for granted that somebody else is doing it for them When they find out three years down the road, how did this happen? What do we gotta do to change this? I frequently ask, where were you? And I think it's important for people to realize that our voices do matter, our presence matters, our anecdotal experience on the landscape matters. Who better to talk to from a legislator standpoint or a commissioner standpoint, is a representative of of an organization that has 25,000 members or 10,000 members or 5,000 members that, that, that does the yeoman's work of conservation and habitat, natural resource preservation and conservation, why would they wanna to listen to an anti that wants to take everything away when they have no facts and data? But if we don't show up, if we don't participate, if we don't show our involvement and engagement, those commissioners and legislators have no knowledge that we're even on the landscape. Yeah, you're kind of there in the backdrop, but if it's not important enough for you to show up and fight for, or write a letter, or start a caucus, or get something going, it's easy for the opposition to win when there's nobody on the other side of the offensive or defensive line.
0: Yeah, and it definitely, you know, and the only reason why I brought that up, because I knew you would do a much better job of explaining it than I would, is the you know, easiest way to say it, the squeaky <laughs> wheel does get the grease. And if you don't let your yeah. voice be heard, then you are not making any squeaking. And, um, you know, when you when you look at, like you brought up the – well, you brought up a lot of stuff, but the North American model of wildlife conservation, when, when you, when you look at that and you, that to us is very important, especially those that, you know, pay attention to it. But if you bring that up or Teddy Roosevelt, where, where all this began, it started for a good reason to keep good numbers, uh, good wildlife management you know, that that was the whole reason this all got going years and years ago, right? Was to not just kill everything until there's nothing left. Like, very good reasons that we still adhere to today. Um, the, uh, these rules that we follow. We want good numbers, obviously. We want good wildlife. We want good habitat. We want good management. Trying to explain that to, to someone is probably, I don't grab the model of wildlife conservation and throw that into somebody's face to help them understand because they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And and I'm only bringing this no. up is get a good strategy and a game plan together. Whether you're cornered in, when I say violence, I've seen it, it's pretty violent. When you have, you can get some pretty, uh, some Karens that some evil people, whether that's at a trailhead that's at a grocery store, that's at a, you pick it. You can have some pretty aggressive conversations if you let it go that direction, but trailhead specifically, oh, yeah. get your shit together, get a good fact based, very calm, but very calculated. I don't want to say argument, but could be an argument, um, you know, in your wallet, in your back pocket, ready to go to explain for the betterment, not just to argue and scream and yell back and forth, but, Getting info out there, and I have had people bring that up. Like, should I just go through the the North American model? I'm like, no, not initially. There, that's speaking Swahili to them. They don't give a shit, right? But breaking it down into layman's terms that make more sense is a very good way to go about it, or at least that's my perception of this. I've had a lot better. You you catch what are they? You know, you catch bees with honey, right? Yeah, I've had a lot better luck, whether that's on the trail or the trail head of saying, Hey, actually let's, ah, this is how this works. And, you know, no, we just don't go out and kill everything. We certainly don't just leave the heads and take the meat and, you know, I pack this all out and feed my family with it. And really it's not any different than, you know, you, do you, do you eat steak or burgers or fish? Or, oh yeah, we do. Well, it's, it's the same thing. I'm just putting work in, you know, again, get a good fact-based, not to say argument, but ready to go.
1: No, I, I fully agree, and and I think I think reference to the model is just because that's that's how the game agencies have have you know altered their management objectives since creation in the early 1900s, and you know when you talk to people about a public resource or the public trust doctrine or or, or you know regulations and and the elimination of market hunting, the elimination of market hunting comes from exactly what you were referencing before, the country as a whole was trying to feed itself. I mean, there was places, you know, in, in all the metropolitan cities and all the small towns where you could actually go and get deer and elk and antelope and sheep. And it was sold in restaurants and sold in hotels. And and where we came from then of trying to supply a food source and a a hunting opportunity that was more game market driven than most. It, it started to change the, the demographics and the ideology perspectives of the general public and society, you know, from about 1920 to 1930. And that's when we got into, you know, the Pittman-Robertson Act of 1937 and Daniel Johnson in 1953. And the wildlife conservation stuff has been going on, you know, early on of the of the 1900s and late on of the 1800s. Those are the historic and traditional perspectives that we can bring to the table. But, you know, I had a conversation with a gentleman the other day, and he's he's like, well, ever since they created the model back in the 1880s. And I said, well, the model actually wasn't created until more recently with Shane Mahoney, John Organ, and Valerius Geist. Uh, that, you know, that that, that that was a concept that was based upon the historical precedent and traditions and the management decision-making processes that were done in the 1880s and 1890s. But that's what's got us to where we're at now. Now we have to decide how we're going to continue that in perpetuity to move forward to the next level, whether it's 20, 30, 40 years from now. But we're, we're, you know, society as a whole has a different perspective on, on, on killing. And I go back to that, whether it's warfare or whether it's the blatant disregard for life and society, people don't understand the ramifications and repercussions of our actions in a lot of things of general life. And when you talk about conservation and wildlife and natural resources, It's out of their wheelhouse. I believe that they have an interest in it; the majority do. But I also believe that they don't have a concept, an understanding of how and where it came from, how we're where we're at, and where we need to go with it. And if they really care about it, they're starting to pay attention. But if they don't, they're never going to pay attention ever in our lifetime because it's not going to affect them in one way, shape, or form. You know, there was a study done back in, oh, I think it was pre. 16 or 17, but 97% of all people in the state of Colorado at that time engaged in outdoor recreation. Now they included, you know, walking outside and biking outside and, you know, picnicking outside. It was, but they, they included all of that. And it shows that people have a direct connection to the landscape and to wildlife and natural resources, even though they don't realize that they're engaging in it. Or that they partner with it or they or that they enjoy it. If we can figure out a way to bridge that gap that I keep mentioning, it's easier for us to explain to our coworkers and peers, but it's easier for them to recognize it without having to be explained to. Nobody likes to be talked down to. Nobody likes to be, you know, belittled and admonished and shamed. But they do like education and they do like facts and data and statistics. Because if it affects them, they care. If it doesn't affect them, Nobody could give a rat's ass less.
0: Yeah, I I agree 100%. And I kind of, I want to shift this um, a little bit, you know, as we're talking about getting the word out and like, the, the, kind of shifting over to infighting, strength in numbers, like getting along is f- extremely fucking difficult for outdoorsmen to do already. When I say that there's like, man, for whatever reason we eat our own and having a strong united front is, is going to be very important. There's strength in numbers. We need the numbers. And there's always talk back and forth on social media of, you know, overcrowding. I get it. You know, like, you know, there's too many people in the woods now on and on and on. And then, you know, certain people hunting that are of known, um, I'm just going to bring up Joe Rogan cause he's one of the most known people in the world, him hunting, right. And getting the word out that, you know, there's a lot of people in the space in place of hunting that will kind of bash him. And he's not a real hunter. He's whatever other bullshit they come up with, but he is the strongest voice arguably in the world. Um, when I say that as far as just mm-hmm. big platform. All right. So I want to shift, uh, away from that a little bit and talk about infighting and in the, in the outdoor industry, it seems like we like to eat our own, I guess you could say it's really hard for everybody to get along and, you know, also talk about some of the, you know, the strength in numbers, the views of some people where they don't like the idea of strength in numbers. But, you know, the the way I'm looking at this is <clears throat> no matter what, we're going to lose it all if we don't stick together and we do need to increase our numbers, um, you know, as well as there's a lot of <clears throat> negativity towards, let's say, someone like Joe Rogan. There's a lot of positive things obviously thrown his way as well but you'll you you will see people at times really bash someone like Joe who has a great voice for the outdoor world for the outdoorsmen for bow hunters for hunters in general and a lot of people hate on that and I just want to get your views or your your take on that the numbers the game what's going to happen long term
1: Well I think I think one of the biggest things that that we don't look at as a hunting and angling hook and bullet community is the fact that while we have different perspectives of where we come from and our, our avocational pursuits, whether you're a, you know, a bow hunter or a turkey hunter or a mountain lion hunter in this case, uh, that the enemy that we face are collective in their thoughts by taking us all of the, off the landscape. And I don't think that we've done a very good job historically of making sure that we are, Lockstep, an army to defeat that enemy. We 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 divide and conquer ourselves just because of the background that we provide of who we are. If we all classified ourselves as sportsmen and women, uh, then we could classify ourselves underneath of that umbrella, you know, for a particular pursuits or avocations and endeavors. What what my what my perspective is the reason that we formulated the Coloradans for responsible wildlife management is to enhance, promote, and defend the North American model of wildlife conservation and responsible wildlife management. Every one of those groups that we talked about earlier, Aaron, they all adhere to that in some capacity. Every game and fish agency in this country adheres to that model in some capacity. That's what should be the, the pulpit or the pedestal that we stand on and behind to make sure that we are all lockstep, they are all moving in the right direction, that we're all supporting each other no matter what the issues are even if we don't engage in it in ourselves we have to recognize the importance of not only the the social media part of it the the celebrity podcast part of it the celebrity sportsmen and women part of it different organizations have different missions because of what they established to support but they all support the north american model they all work underneath of the ideology of that umbrella And my hope is that we can come together, we can figure out a way to conquer the evil, we can move forward lockstep from state to state, region to region, organization by organization, method of take by method of take, species of interest by species of interest, and make sure that we are united and unified and collaborative to defeat the enemy that wants to knock us off one by one by one. And I think, you know, the low hanging fruit in this particular situation in Colorado is the, the mountain lion and bobcat issue. But if you read the language in the measure, it's not about mountain lions and bobcats. It's about the ultimate goal to turn around and knock every single one of those pursuits, those endeavors, those methods of take and those season structures off individually until they don't have to worry about anybody fighting back. Yeah, and- I'm in a position in this. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm in a position in this point in time because we are we are the epicenter. We have become this the center of the attention and the point of the spear, and I'm trying to make sure that what we do in Colorado not only helps folks in Wyoming and Montana and Utah and all the other Western states, but eventually in the, in the, in the rest of the United States. We've got right to hunt bills and right to hunt legislation in some places. We've got right to wild harvest, but... But that doesn't do any good if nobody's left to be able to do it because they can knock things off of those one by one by one, depending on state constitutions and the initiative process that they've got in those states. Just because we think that we have something solid in our state doesn't mean it's not going to come to our state, whether it's Ohio or Massachusetts or even in California, you know, for what they have left. Every state has an issue. And when they get done on the chopping block in one state, like what they're trying to do in Colorado, they're going to move to another state because they're going to capitalize on that momentum, move as fast and furious as what they possibly can. They gain funding. They gain support from such a minute, minute minuscule part of the population that drives their war chest. And, and most of our guys sit on the sidelines more often than not, even organizations say it won't happen here. It's not going to come to my door. It's not going to be at my state because we're too conservative or we're too red or we've got too many sportsmen or we've got too, too many, you know, supporters of this or supporters of that. They will come to every single state. And if we don't get our crap together in the long run, I think that uh, we won't be talking about things like this five or 10 or 15 years down the road. I think it'll be, it'll be a dead and gone opportunity that most people um, said, what the hell happened? When did that start? I didn't realize it was that bad. And I'm hoping that we could turn around and stop what, you know what what they've created uh or at least slow it down until we can rebuild our war chest and our armament and i'm not just talking about colorado with save the hunt i'm talking about all of us collectively stepping up to the plate and saying what we need to do to support not only the north american model and science-based wildlife management but to put our foot in the ground put our flag on the ridge and say this is who we are this is what we do, and we will support every attack on that model and science-based wildlife management.
0: Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I really was trying to stress, and I've gotten beat up over this a little bit, was, you know, that, that with the strength in numbers thing was like the over, you know, that that what comes up after that is overcrowding in the outdoors and, you know, overcrowding in people's hunting areas, which I get all that, I understand, of, of course, but, like, it, the time of... Uh, you know, bury your head in the stand. I don't want people in my hunting area. I just want to be left alone to go hunting is kind of gone because it's going to get taken away totally if we don't do anything. And, and what you said, I mean, I, I parallel those statements, but if we do nothing, whether, you know, that's raising money, getting the word out a little bit of all of the above, sending letters into your, you know, your congressman, things like that, you, it'll be gone in 10 years in Colorado, in in my opinion anyway. I bet within five major changes, but within 10, all of hunting could pretty easily be gone at the route we're losing things in Colorado already, meaning 92, the spring bear hunting, and then obviously fast-forwarding, you know, it's wolf reintroduction. Now they're going after mountain lion hunting. It, it's we're, We just need as much voice and numbers as we possibly as we possibly can. But, you know, having, having said that, um, you know, when you talked about, you know, rowing the boat in the same direction, when you are, when you look at if, and I would encourage people to do this when you look at a anti hunting page or an anti hunting website, they only have one focus and one goal. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, take hunting away. They don't like animals dying, They don't like animals being treated cruelly, however they want to look at it. We are looking at crossbows, compounds, recurves, long distance shooting, you know, muzzle loaders, electronics, you know, I don't what camo you're wearing. We bitch about everything and fight about everything. Yeah, they they don't. They don't. They get along real well and they have one goal and there's very little from what I've seen in fighting like we have.
1: In Colorado and Denver, at 1536 Wine Coop, downtown Denver, there's a place called the Alliance Center, and it's about 20 different animal rights, animal welfare organizations that share the same rent, utilities, attorneys, and they all, um, you know, share the same meeting space, same parking space. Um, to the best of my knowledge, there's not anything like that in the country, for Sportsmen and women, we have coalitions, but we don't actually cost share. And I think that if we figured out a way to do that on the grand scheme of things, you know, it's like this this effort that we're doing here with Initiative ninety one and one hundred one for the the supposed trophy hunting ban. We're attempting to raise funds from all around the country, and we're getting money in from, like I say, the forty seven states so far, and, and Canadian provinces, and different locations, and industry leaders, and business, and you know, celebrities, and and individuals and organizations and landowners, but we don't have a common place because we've started differently because we segregated ourselves 30, 40, 50 years ago, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the National Wild Turkey Federation, the Mule Deer Foundation, you know, muley Fanatics, you, you name it, if there's a species, there's an organization to turn around and help support that species. If you look at the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, it's of animals. If you look at the Humane Society of the United States, if you look at Wild Earth Guardians, Defenders of Wildlife, so they support and look for support from all of their potential you know, target audience, whether it's members or, or whatever, because it's all about wildlife. And if it's all about wildlife, it's all about taking the opportunity for harvesting the wildlife away. We as a community typically don't think like that because we segregate ourselves. We divide ourselves. So rowing in the same direction, I think is imperative, but making sure that we are lockstep with each other organization, to organization, nothing, nothing pisses me off more than a mule deer foundation banquet that is going on. And the same night, the Rocky mountain elk foundation banquet is going on 10 miles away, and the same night the Colorado Bowhunters Association banquet is going on eight miles away. Well, how the hell do we turn around and co our efforts, our funding, and our message when we can't even communicate amongst the leaders of chapters or organizations on our fundraising opportunities? Now, look, we've got 52 weekends in a year, and there's limited opportunities for different things. But if we really, really want to make a dent in things, we got to make sure that we're going the same direction, that we're lockstep. And nobody wants to advertise for somebody else's banquet. My God, that's taboo. Nobody else wants to turn around and, and say there's, a, there's a, a, some sort of a function or event or a fundraising opportunity for another association because all these chapter leaders are against each other for the same dollar. The antis don't think like that. The antis say, when are you gonna do something? And we'll do something different. Or maybe we could collaborate and we could split the money. Or we could figure out a way to co-mingle our efforts and some monetary component. When we get down to this ballot initiative here in Colorado, you're going to see us come together like no, no time in history in Colorado. We are collaborating. We are monetizing this effort. We're creating this mechanism that we've not seen here, and we're trying to build that roadmap. We're trying to build that playbook and make sure that MDF and NWTF and all those acronym groups are in the same line marching toward the same goal, and that's the – to defeat these bastards at the ballot on November 5th. And that's the reason that we were formulated back in 2016 and 17 with the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And I would just like, I'd like to challenge everybody, whether they're in New Hampshire, or whether they're in Oregon, or whether they're here in Colorado or any other state, figure out a way to commingle our efforts collectively and collaboratively, figure out a way that if you don't know what's going on in the next county, or in your next chapter event make sure that we are working toward the same goal the same goal is to remain on the landscape support science-based wildlife management and perpetuity for sustainable wildlife populations for future generations of wildlife and people as well and to defeat and hold back the opposition that is trying to take every single freaking thing away and if we don't get our shit together over the course of the next two to five years our kids and our grandkids and their kids will not have these opportunities. They won't even have the, the opportunity for opportunities. And we will be sitting back looking in our wheelchairs or our rockers or whatever we're in at that time going, I wish we would have stepped up. I wish we would have done something to stop what I saw that was happening as opposed to thinking it wasn't going to come to my state, it wasn't going to come to my, my endeavor, my recreational opportunity. And I honestly believe that we could do that here in Colorado because of the support, the enthusiasm, the optimism that we've got, the money that we've already generated, the the nationwide outreach that has come together that is offering us a plethora of things that's never been offered in this state before. And if we can set that playbook and that roadmap, I can honestly say that I think not only will we be victorious on November 5th, I think that we will set the tone and the narrative for other opportunities to draw that line in the sand and say, come and get it. We plant our flag collectively and it doesn't matter whether it's a bow hunting issue or a mountain lion hunting issue or an upland bird issue or a trapping issue. You're going to have to come take it. We're not going to give it to you and we're not going to watch you take it from somebody else.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it, I don't, I don't want to keep you on here, you know, all day long, but what you're doing is obviously noteworthy and, and appreciated by, you know, by many, um, You know, and having said that, I know we've mentioned the website uh, a few different times. So where can people, one, find out about what you're, you know, one more time, tell everybody the website and then they can get on there and donate as well. Because obviously money is extremely important because the people we're going against have lots of it. They've pulled together. Um, So that's uh, the website, all of those things. If there's a Facebook, Instagram, let's go over that
1: one more time. So the the website is SaveTheHuntsColorado.com. Uh, that's the that's the website for, for the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Um, we'll take the donations on there for sure. Uh, that's been the primary funding mechanism outside of people sending checks into the post office box. All the information to contact is on that website. Uh, the information, as far as the initiatives are concerned, somebody could get on the website, read the init- initiatives. They're a PDF form. They can download them if they're so inclined. They get to read the title. They get to read all the language, the measure, the language and the measure. Uh, some of those are four, five, six, seven pages. And uh, what I'd, I'd encourage people to, you know, to keep checking us out on Facebook and Instagram. The Instagram is is c dot r dot w m, which is the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management. We're trying to give some regular updates on that. We're getting ready to head to Sheep Show tomorrow. We're going to the Shot Show next week. These are all free opportunities where they've reached out to us to give us opportunities on the on the stage uh, for auctions that they're supporting on our behalf for press conferences at the shot show. We've got people that'll be in in Nashville for the SCI convention because of the the SCI support that we've got here in Colorado. I would encourage people just to keep an eye on what's going on here because. It's a changing landscape and we're trying to be adaptive and nimble in the process. We're not fully through the legal process yet. So we don't know exactly what the title number is, the initiative number or what the actual title would be. We got a general idea, but we don't want to turn around and start telling people vote no on this because that, that initiative number will change between now and when they gather signatures and when it's on the ballot. So we don't want to send them to the wrong location, but you know, educate yourselves, educate your peers, and like I said before, your congregation, all your family members, because it is coming to you. And if there's an opportunity to educate and prepare and at least have an idea what's going on, you can support what we do. You can be part of the solution and not be part of the problem by just sitting idle and waiting for something to happen. But I think, honestly, Aaron, I mean, a call to action, a call to arms, whatever anybody wants to call it. Um, it's not about just looking for preference points and where you're going to hunt next, because if you pay, if you don't pay close enough attention, you might find out that they shut that place down or they took it away because you weren't paying attention uh, to what's going on in the landscape. So we'd support, we we appreciate any support, any all support outreach. And uh, we're just looking forward to a victory in November. And we're going to turn around and take this to the next level to where we can support the North American model and science-based wildlife management.
0: Well, dude, I appreciate everything that you're doing. I'm sure as well as all the, you know, the listeners do. So definitely everybody check out those websites, follow them on uh, Facebook and Instagram, donate money, do whatever you can to, you know, to help. So again, I appreciate you coming on. Sorry about some of the technical difficulties. I don't know if people will be able to tell, but we had a couple breaks in contact there where we lost uh, service, but, um, but we got it done. So dude, I appreciate, appreciate you doing what you're doing and, and hopping on the podcast.
1: Appreciate it a bunch, Aaron. Look forward to keeping you guys up to date. And uh, anything we can do on our end, uh, reach out, and we'll be more than happy to help or try to convey that message as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, of course. Anytime, same same back at you. Anything you need from me, let me know. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk
1: soon enough. Thanks again. Thanks a bunch. Take care.